Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the mile. Yes! Marco DeVille! That's what we expected from him! To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I wanna spend some time with you just the two of us. Welcome to a special edition of the Two Saltitudes Podcast. It's the Vancouver Whitecaps Season Review Edition. Kevin Laramay in Montreal, Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. We have uh, two special guests this week, uh, Mark Daly's and Jorge Mendoza, uh, who are on the uh, From the Backline podcast out there in Vancouver. They came with us to lend their expert opinion on the Whitecaps season. Uh, Kevin, I, I talk to you every day, so I ask you every day how you doing. So I'm just going to ask you today, I don't know, how you doing? To be fair, uh, Matt Jordan is doing better than anybody in Montreal right now. We'll talk about that later on the show. I still feel bad that Montreal lost their technical director. Give him whatever title he had. Now he's the new general manager and vice president of Houston. And the rumblings I heard from Houston... They're really happy about that catch, and we'll talk about that later, but uh, I am not happy at all. Yeah, we are going to add that to our very final segment. We will talk about the Matt Jordan uh, poach. Uh, maybe it's revenge for Brian Ching. I don't know. Anyway, we'll talk about that in the final segment. But before we do all that, let's take a very quick break. We'll come back, and we'll bring the From the Backline guys on, and we'll talk Whitecaps 2014. Come to the park, and we'll welcome you. And welcome back to our special Vancouver Whitecaps wrap-up edition of the Two Salties podcast, Wayne Williams with Kevin Laramay. We've got Mark Daly and uh, Jorge Mendoza. Mendoza, Mendoza. I knew I was going to screw it up, Jorge. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, from the, from the Backline podcast. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you, and uh, we'll just sort of go chronologically through the season like we did with the other two podcasts uh, that detail the teams. Uh, the off season for the Whitecaps was a little bit uh, less smooth than maybe the season was in a lot of ways. You had a coaching uh, search that didn't seem like much of a search for a while, and eventually it led to Carl Robinson uh, being hired. Uh, you know, it's hindsight and all that, but do uh, you think that the, the failure to get Bob Bradley and the ultimate having to, to rely or having to lean back on the second choice, clearly the second choice, Carl Robinson, was a blessing in disguise? 
Yeah, definitely. I think so. Uh, when you go back and kind of look at the, the the previous off season, it was obviously a bit of a PR nightmare for the Whitecaps because uh, just after Christmas, we had all the rumors about Camilo going to Carretaro down in uh, in Mexico, and then the ongoing saga of trying to replace uh, Martin Rennie. There was the, the the rumors out there, obviously with Bob Bradley, Frank Yallop, who obviously went to Chicago Fire pretty quick, and also um, <clears throat> Jason Kreiss, who's uh, obviously gone to uh, New York City FC. So it kind of looked like Carl Robin was a plan B but people that kind of know and follow the club really closely that um, kind of thought it was uh, I wouldn't say that so much a, well it was obviously it was a plan B but it wasn't necessarily a, a bad move because Carl had a pretty good reputation he has a pretty solid relationship with the players so it was always going to be a bit of a question whether or not he would be able to step up and go from being that assistant coach to a head coach and the manager and and all those duties that uh, have entailed but as we've seen over the season, he's actually done a pretty good job from the uh, basically from the from the get go, and uh, I think he's won over a lot of people, not necessarily just the, the the players in his own coaching staff, but a lot of the fans as well. Jorge, I'll throw this one to you. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Camillo and and sort of how that played out. In, in many ways, I mean, the Whitecaps had a, a fairly successful season, but you can only imagine to dream what it would have been like if they were able to hold last year's Golden Boot winner there. Uh, talk about the effect of losing that player on the overall season and, and how it was that the Whitecaps were able to somewhat overcome it. Yeah, well, like like you mentioned, it was it was a, an absolute uh, a punch in the gut uh, for not only uh, the club for, for all the all the fans uh, here here in Vancouver um, the the, uh, the possibilities like like you mentioned of, of uh, what would have been having a, a striker that can consistently put the ball in the back of the net um, with especially with the midfield that uh, the white Cups assembled for this year uh, it would have been a completely different season and maybe we'll be talking about uh, the Vancouver uh, white Cups still being in the playoffs uh, I think that uh, it was a huge um, uh, black eye in, in, on, on the off season. Uh, there was a lot of people unhappy as to the way it sort of uh, handled both from the player and the club. Um, and uh, but not only that, uh, you have to remember that shortly after, uh, in the in the early stages of the season, also uh, a striker like uh, Kenny Miller was also let go. So the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, were left uh, with basically uh, all the kids uh, trying to. Uh, um, uh, we'll try to basically uh, score all the goals, and uh, it has been well documented that uh, well that didn't happen. However, uh, the Whitecaps uh, were able to uh, put uh, put together uh, sort of a scoring in in groups, right? And obviously, uh, Pedro Morales uh, uh, was the highest scorer, uh, ten goals. Uh, but uh, they sort of uh, there was many different players that pitched in. Um, you know, with uh, five goals here, you know, six goals there, and that's sort of the, the way that they were able to uh, they get the results. That combined with a uh, uh, great defensive uh, work uh, in the second half of the season, so it was sort of a uh, uh, they had to uh, work as a team to to sort of uh, cover that hole that the goal scoring uh, was uh, created. Uh, Mark, we at the beginning of the season as well, Jay Demerit got injured and eventually led to his retirement. Did you expect? The, the back line, the defensive special guys, because you're from the back line, uh, did you expect uh, Vancouver to uh, have struggles defensively like they did in the middle of the season? Well, 
a little bit, but I think more than that, Jay was kind of like the spiritual leader of the team. He just uh, the, the leadership that he provided when he was on the field, that was a huge blow. And we saw just uh, that, that mental strength that he has when he was injured in the opening uh, match of the uh, the season last year against Toronto FC, that he, he was like expected to be gone for the entire year. And he came back ahead of schedule and had a big impact on the, the, the final third of the season for the Whitecaps. So to see almost the same thing happen again this time, and it just looked kind of bad right away that it just didn't seem like he was going to come back. And then obviously he had to retire after that. So that was a huge blow, but they've, um, they've been consistently pretty good. Like well, we know how good uh, Andy O'Brien is. Jordan Harvey's really gotten better this, uh, th- this year. He was, I don't know, he wasn't as consistent or as solid uh, under Martin Rennie, especially last year, but this year he's really flourished under Carl Robinson. And then another big concern for us last year was the retirement of YP Lee. Mm-hmm. It was just like, who are we going to get that? Uh, could we even find a similar quality player to play it right back? I mean, YP, obviously has a huge reputation and was uh, had quite a career playing professionally not only here in Vancouver but in Europe uh, as well so we managed to pick up uh, Stephen Betashore in the offseason and he took a few matches to settle in but he got better and better as the year wore on so it, it it just seems that they were able to work around those those problems and then obviously the big question for us is after Jay retired who was going to fill that hole and then they got uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Kendall Waston from uh, Saprissa in Costa Rica, and he's been an absolute re- revelation here in Vancouver. So out of uh, all the areas on the pitch, the back line is honestly not really a huge concern, considering also you have some of our homegrown players, uh, Ethan Sampson and Sam Matakukbe, that are getting minutes, and uh, they're going to be coming through the system as well. So the, the back line really isn't a huge concern for me moving forward into 2015. Jorge, another big player personnel that happened uh, between the 2013-2014 season for Vancouver was the loss of Kobayashi. And it's been really non, not talked about a lot. He's been really helpful with New England. Would you consider that loss to be one of the uh, unsung point for Vancouver that actually uh, might have helped them to be further in the playoffs? Well, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I think that uh, the loss of a player is uh, as remembered as the next player who comes along. And obviously, Daigo Kobayashi was uh, that attacking midfielder that was supposed to do wonders for the White Cups in 2013 when he came. Uh, and, well, that didn't happen, right? So uh, when he was uh, let go, I don't think that uh, uh, the fans were uh, incredibly upset about it because he didn't produce the results on the field. Uh, when you think about that, uh, combined with the fact that uh, we got a, a different player like Pedro Morales that... It was the complete opposite, and he actually uh, created um, that, that expectation, and he delivered on those expectations. Uh, I don't think that uh, uh, the name of Daigo Kobayashi is uh, uh, sorely missed uh, uh, on this part of the country. Uh, Jorge, I'll start with you in, uh, this time, and uh, I want to talk a bit about the Voyagers Cup campaign, which wasn't very long for the Whitecaps. They played the kids... Uh, that was strategic, I think, on Carl Robinson's part. Uh, you, you did perform well against Toronto, but ultimately uh, were, were unable to uh, succeed. Uh, Jorge, do you, do you think in some ways that was a blessing in disguise that uh, that you fell out of the competition that quick allowed you to focus on, on building towards the ultimate playoff spot? 
Yeah, you see, it's it's a very interesting uh, phenomenon of what happened with uh, with the Voyager's Cup uh, this year, because uh, when you think about uh, the past couple of years when uh, the White Cups uh, failed to to win that tournament, it was actually one of the uh, biggest uh, black eyes that people who were the, uh, against uh, Martin Rene um, would point out, like, well, they didn't win uh, once again that trophy, uh, and even though. This year, it was the exact same story. They weren't able to uh, to win that. Uh, there's not that negative feel about it. And I think the key is like just exactly what you just mentioned, the fact that uh, Carl Robinson fielded a team full of uh, younger players, players that uh, are sort of a, a bit of a... Um, a window to the future of what can be for the Vancouver Whitecaps. We have to remember Marco Carducci, 70 years old, was uh, on net and he did uh, very well. You know, we had other players like Ian Sfros, Marco Bustos, uh, Sam Adekubi. They, they all uh, are coming from from, uh, from the academy and they perform very well. So even though um, the Whitecaps uh, once again uh, were unable to, to win that trophy, there was a, a sort of a overall positive feeling uh, among the fans uh, because of because of that fact, because uh, uh, they, there's uh, something to look forward in the future. In terms of uh, the second part of your question, of uh, I think that it was uh, a blessing in disguise. Obviously, we have been talking about uh, uh, the holes that the Vancouver squad had this year, uh, and I don't I don't know if they would have been able to to cope effectively uh, both MLS and the uh, Concacaf Champions League, uh, given obviously they uh, uh, they were a little thin in, in some areas of the pitch. So maybe uh, they would uh, not be able to, to reach the playoffs and not do well on both of them. So this way, just like you mentioned, that they were able to sort of focus on, on the one objective, which was making the playoffs, which ultimately uh, they did. So now it's just a matter of uh, they, they got the berth for next year, and, and now they're, uh, Carl Robinson is going to have a full off season to, to really plan his squad and, and making sure that uh, he has the right people in the right places to, to be able to uh, uh, to do a, a, good, a good job at both, at both competitions. Uh, Mark, uh, we're going to allow you to be positive here in a minute, but before we do that, I have to focus a bit on some of the struggles uh, just real quickly. Two players in particular jump out to me as having subpar years and, and maybe having their future with the Whitecaps in doubt. Um, I bet you can guess what two players I'm going to mention too, but it's uh, Darren Maddox and Omar Salgado. Talk about those two players. Do they have a future? What was the the issue behind their struggles this year? Well, I, I think that Salgado was. It's basically the worst kept secret in Vancouver caps. Though uh, the whole circles that he's basically gone. Um, the the last thing that we heard was about a month ago was that he lashed out at uh, one of his teammates in training with a rather nasty and high uh, tackle, and he was um, given a rather stern ticking off by the manager and was uh, was sent home. Subsequently, he was sent down to Mexico to Tigres on a twelve day trial, and we haven't heard what happened after that. There's there's been some sort of unsubstantiated rumors that he's he's signed there or perhaps not. But if he hasn't, then I think the best thing for for him to do is perhaps be uh, left exposed in the expansion draft, so we don't have to worry about uh, exposing a, a player that is good uh, and useful to the team that we might lose to Orlando or New York City. So he's basically gone. That's that's pretty much a given. As for Darren Maddox, well, he's been here for three years now after we picked him in the Super Draft and. 
he just really hasn't lived up to expectations. And he started the year somewhat on a uh, on a good note, but as the season has gone on, he's sort of been dogged by the same criticisms by fans and media that uh, you know the work ethic isn't there, the attitude on the pitch isn't there, and just the the, the body language when things don't go his way. So it's it's a real good question. I have my doubts that uh, he'll be back in 2015. Uh, obviously, everybody knows how bad scoring or how inconsistent the scoring has been this year. So I would think that that they're going to look to bring in some proven goal scorers from where, wherever. They apparently have their targets identified for when the transfer window opens and they're able to sign players. And I think that, that Darren just won't be back. I don't know how much... Uh, he could be traded for if there's you know if we could really get um, a, a good quality player in return. I don't really know, but I would not expect to see him back here in 2015. Jorge, we heard Mark talk about <clears throat> Darren Maddox. I would like to ask you, Jorge, what do you think about Kakuta Mane's roller coaster season? It seems like it's almost the his type of season were always roller coasters. Last season was the same thing, and this season was. Hot and cold. Uh, what do you expect for Kakuta Mane for uh, the future? Well, Kakuta Mane, if there's uh, something that is uh, beyond debate, is that he's an exciting player. And uh, that it's a player that the Whitecaps and the fans uh, really want to see uh, here in the future. Um, regarding his form, um, there's been a lot of debate. We have really talked about it at length on the podcast. Um, Kakuta Mane, at this point in his career, we feel that his best position or his best uh, opportunity for him to succeed is it's coming off the bench, sort of like a, a super sub. Every time that he comes um, uh, from the bench, he's able to really uh, create sparks and, and, and really run at the defense uh, with his speed, and and, uh, and that's where he is able to, to create uh, uh, opportunities and score some goals. Uh, we have seen him uh, as a starter. He sort of struggles, and he doesn't have the same impact that, that he does, so uh, I think that that is just part of his development. I think that uh, he has the talent uh, to be a great MLS player, and at some point, I'm sure that he's going to be able to uh, be a great starter, but for now, I think that his development needs to continue. Um, maybe coming off the bench uh, uh, will also be uh, part of his development uh, for next season. But uh, he's definitely someone that uh, uh, that we're looking forward to, to continue seeing in a, in a White Cups kit. Mark, all right, we waited 14 minutes before we talked about it. I think we have to talk about it now. The Vancouver Whitecaps had a playoff game this year, last Wednesday, about 10 days ago. What would you, how would you describe that game? And was that call really what caused you the game? Uh, well, obviously it did cost us the game, but it wasn't the only factor that led to us losing the match. There were several questions going into the match, just even leading up to kickoff regarding the changes that Carl Robinson made. He had three changes to his starting 11 compared to the match against Colorado that just only a couple of days uh, earlier. Um, one big uh, one big problem for us was that Stephen Betashore injured his right hamstring in that final match of the season, and he couldn't play. So what Robbo did during that match was he switched Jordan Harvey from left back to right back and put Ethan Samson, or sorry, Sam Adekugbe in at, uh, at, at left back, which kind of makes sense. If you're going to switch 
uh, a left back to right back, you probably want to take a guy that's got a lot of experience at the professional level rather than playing a young uh, a youngster out of position. So that actually worked out pretty good, and there weren't too many problems uh, in the game itself. But you could see why he would do it for the the match to put Jordan back in his natural position and bring Ethan Sampson on, even though Ethan has only played uh, you know a handful of first team minutes this year. So that was one one question. You can kind of see why he was forced into it, and then also the the big question for me was why he brought um, uh, took Russell uh, Tybert out of the starting eleven, put Gershon Kofi in to play beside Matias Lava in that holding mid role. Now Gershon played really well with with uh, Matias. They formed a really solid partnership right up to the beginning of August when he got injured, and Gershon has been out of the the, the lineup out of the team for about two months while he uh, worked on rehabilitating that injury and getting fit. So it just kind of seemed a bit of an odd time to put it back in because I was critical. I didn't think in the beginning that Russell was really all that suited to that uh, holding mid role, but I love Russell's versatility and his work rate. And he really grew into that position and formed also a pretty solid partnership with Matias. So I didn't think that was a great, uh, wasn't the best decision from Robinson, but he had his reasons to do it. And then as for who he put up front to play forward, it's basically a roll of the dice. I mean, you could put Maddox up there, Hurtado, Fernandez, whoever. It's Scoring's been inconsistent and streaky all, all year long, and it was basically, that was going to be a roll of the dice. And one of them may or may not have had a, a really solid night. But yeah, as for the penalty itself... I guess if you look at the, the the rules, it probably is. But how many times do we see similar instances, uh, similar things happen where that that doesn't get called? But it was just uh, it was just sort of the final thing on what was basically a very uninspired and lackluster first half. And it was always going to be a bit of a long shot uh, to go down to Dallas, where we've never uh, played well or won a match, especially on a short turnaround. And uh, it's just it's a tough one for the fans to take because if there's one team in all of MLS that the supporters in Vancouver hate. It's FC Dallas by a mile. Oh, I thought it was Montreal or Toronto. <laughs> oh, well, we do, but for a different reason. But there is a legitimate, like, a, a, like a, a legitimate hate for FC Dallas that sort of trumps any other uh, rivalries that we have with any other teams. There, there, well, there was almost a fight in, in a game earlier this year, if I'm correct. Yeah. Uh, Mark, uh, or Jorge, whoever can give you the update here. I'm wondering, uh, there was some talk earlier in the year of a USL Pro team uh, being run by the club, playing in uh, West Van, I think it was. Is there any update on that? Where did you take that one, Jorge? Well, the, the, the update is basically that there's no update. I mean, obviously, uh, the Vancouver White Cups announced that they are, are going to field a team in 2015 in the USL Pro. Uh, there was uh, uh, a big... Um, public display uh, with the city of New, New Westminster, um, uh, and, which is around 40 minutes or half an hour from, from downtown Vancouver, and uh, everything seemed to be uh, going well. And then uh, it was uh, that that sort of proposal was shut down by the council, uh, and uh, basically the New Westminster team is not going to happen. The wake up sort of uh, said that uh, their intention is that they they will still be fielding a team in 2015, and they're sort of analyzing uh, different options okay fair enough uh, i think that's important we obviously are going to see that in montreal and I, I continue to follow that here in toronto for those that are listening in toronto and i'll update you when i can but at any rate i uh, will end with this uh, uh well both of you can jump in and we'll start with mark if you want uh, what does the what do the whitecaps have to do at this point to get past that fifth and one game out sort of bump that they're sort of stuck on um what what, what would you need to do what would you address in the offseason to to get them a little bit deeper in the playoffs and we'll start with you mark 
Um, well, I, I think uh, the, the biggest thing is uh, getting a couple of proven scores. Um, I don't know if they want to try and make a move within MLS or bring somebody in from, from the outside. I mean, we've seen some pretty awesome signings in Vancouver over the offseason uh, that haven't come from within uh, MLS. I mean, Pedro Morales on a free transfer from uh, Malaga and La Liga over in Spain, that was brilliant. And Kendall Waston, is, as I mentioned earlier, he's been absolutely fantastic as well. So I think that they're going to try and do something like that. I mean, we, we've got a great keeper in David Usted. He had 13 clean sheets this year. He's been solid. Back line, for the most part, is pretty good. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be looking to add some more depth at uh, centre-back, for example. I don't know if uh, O'Brien will be back. You look at the midfield. We didn't have a midfield the last couple of years. Now you look at uh, how good uh, Kofi's been playing, Tybert, <clears throat> excuse me, Laba, Morales, now Rosales. Rosales is a guy I don't know. It's getting up there a little bit. So I guess it de- really depends on what sort of uh, money he wants to come back to uh, Vancouver for next season. But the big thing is to get some proven goal scorers. And I think once they can do that, then we're going to be a more of a constant threat week in, week out. Because I think that we saw over the last six to eight weeks of the season where basically Robinson said he needed five cup finals uh, over the last month to win. I think those couple really big wins in Portland, then that the turnaround that we saw, or sorry, the, the big losses in Portland, I should say, a uh, couple with some big wins after that really help this team gel and really build some character. So I think mentally they're getting there. It's just we need to put goals in the back of the net because I think we are about 15 goals behind the pace from last year. But if you look at Camillo and Kenny Miller, they had 30 goals combined between the two of them last year. So that was going to be a tough hole to fill all year long. Warrior, do you have anything to add? Uh, pardon me? Do you have anything to add to what Mark just said? Uh, no, I mean, uh, it's just going to be... Um... I think that they need uh, a little bit of a um, depth in in central in central back position, uh, but uh, I think that they're so close of of becoming a, a consistent uh, team uh, that can really um, fight uh, for the best uh, uh, with the best in 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 MLS. Okay, and I'll let uh, let Mark. Uh, can you just tell the listeners how they can find your podcast and tell them a little bit about it? Okay, well, our our podcast we're on Twitter at. From the backline, and we also have our, our website from the backline.com. But we also fly under the banner of 86 Forever, which is the SB Nation site for the Vancouver Whitecaps. And we are at, <clears throat> excuse me, 86forever.com, and that is 86, the number spelled out, not 8686. Uh, so you can find us there, and we're out every week, and you can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, or Stitcher. And we're going to go keep all season or all winter long and just keep going. So yeah, we're pretty easy to find online. All right. From the Brack line, it was Mark and Jorge. Thanks, guys, for uh, for joining us today. Cool. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it a lot. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kevin Laramie. Or both of them at Two Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email. Two Solitudes Podcast at gmail.com but especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. And we're back. And thanks again to uh, Mark and Jorge for uh, for coming on and, and, and lending their expertise. Um, Kevin and I make no bones about it. We do try our best to cover the Whitecaps, but we're in Central Canada and we, we can't see the games all the time as much as we do. I always make a point of watching the, the replays. The Game of 20 on uh, MLS Live is a useful little uh, 
useful little thing that I can uh, that I rely upon a lot. But uh, you know, we can't beat the expertise of those that are living it week in week out. So we thank them for uh, for coming on. One um, thing we barely mentioned with them, Dwayne, uh, with Jurgen and Mark, is the fact that the Carl Robinson, the type of season he had as a head coach, it was question marks beginning of the season. He was replacing a very big ego in Martin Rennie had on the field as a coach. And Robinson, even though he's a big personal personality and character in the locker room, he kept that in the locker room this season. He was really calm on the sideline, really controlling himself. And I have to say, watching him at the end of the season and his press conference before the game against Dallas, well, I was really impressed with Robinson this season. And he uh, surpassed the expectation that I had for him. Yeah, well, obviously, as a day one Toronto FC person, I, I saw Carl Robinson as a player and have fond memories of him as a player and thought the TFC really made a mistake in, in casting him aside to play with the New York Red Bulls. And even though I don't think he was treated very well by TFC at that time, uh, he was treated worse than, than players that were, didn't play as well or as hard for TFC. And yet when he came back and did happen... Score, I think his final professional goal was at BMO Field for the New York Red Bulls. Carl didn't celebrate, and I always thought that was pretty classy of him because he didn't score very often, so it must be hard to not celebrate when you're a guy that doesn't score a lot. But at any rate, that's going a little off topic. But it's yeah, he's the, the ultimate um, player's coach, I think. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's the ultimate player's coach, I think, from, from what I can tell. And you can listen to, uh, you know, the TSN guys love the Whitecaps, and part of the reason they love the Whitecaps is because they love working with Robinson. And I think that that at least from my own little psychological evaluation, has to do with, with Jason DeVos uh, relating to him as a former player. But he kind of manages like a guy that was a former player and was a tough kind of player that didn't take any crap on the field while he was a player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think Carl Robinson has really done well. The one interesting thing that I find, uh, he had no experience, really. He was an assistant coach. Uh, he was a guy that uh, that – that really didn't think he had badges and things like that. He was working on those when he was in Toronto, but had he been hired by TFC, you would have had an outcry that, uh, that he was inexperienced. And it just proves the adage that, you know, being experienced doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good and being unexperienced, uh, inexperienced, unexperienced has made a word up, Kevin. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you're being bad, but, uh, he reminds Carl me of Rob- Jesse March to be fair. Jesse March did not have a chance or, uh, the, literally the accolades that he deserved because to be fair the last few years he was probably the best coach in Montreal had all around and Robinson is a type of Jesse March with maybe a little bit more potential even though that Jesse March had and I'm always going to reminisce what could have been if Montreal kept Jesse March for a season or two yeah um, and that's the thing about MLS coaches I, I think that there's this instinct to go after names and I know that here in Toronto and I hate to always bring it back to Toronto sorry Vancouver it's just your your lot in life but uh the scream out to have people with names and that's not this Carl Robinson the the point I'm making is the message that we're learning from this is it's just not always the name that matters it has to be a fit and Carl Robinson was a guy that was familiar with that team that grew up and sort of evolved and they've stuck with him as an assistant for a while he grew into that job and when he took it over even though I think he clearly was not even the second choice he was more like the fourth choice uh, he he was ready to do it. So uh, I think Carl Robinson, that's a, that's a guy, you know, we, we named our player of the year for Canadian clubs uh, on our last podcast. I don't think there's much doubt what our coach of the year amongst the Canadian teams are. <laughs> it, it would be Carl Robinson in a landslide with that. So uh, congratulations to Carl for the uh, not award. Even close. Yeah, no, not that's even not, not even a debate. You can't even make up a debate. I'm laughing um, right now. 
the other point that we'll make up, and I, I asked uh, the guys about this, is what would have, if Camilo had stayed, how good could the Whitecaps have been? Um, I know it's, it's a hypothetical in a lot of ways, but it's fair. I'll ask you, you know, do you think, Kevin, that they would have had six or seven more points and had that home game if they, if nope. they had him? Nope, they would not have made a playoff. They would have had him because why? Last year they did not make a playoff. They had him. He scored goals, but goals in bunches and a lot of penalties. So the goals that he scored were never goals that were actually getting a game in their getting the three points. You know, compared to like a divide who scored three goals last than Camilo, but got his team into one game to play more, got had an impact on the scoreboard, and that's what Camilo. Yes, he scored a bunch of goals last year, but overall they were depending on Camilo. They were goals were coming more from Camilo and Mero than anybody else, more than fifty percent of that. And we saw that this year that they needed that extra goals here and there to maybe clinch a higher seed or maybe have a better momentum going into the playoffs. Yeah, and if those that remember uh, last year, we weren't doing, of course, weren't doing this podcast last year. But the debate at the end of the year was about MVP and things like that, and uh, a lot of people were trying to point out that Devio in Montreal was a guy that that scored in more games than than Camilo did, and didn't score in bunches as much as he did, and certainly didn't score as many penalties as he did. So um, that right yeah, that was a, a conversation that was happening last year. I do think that said, Kevin, that. Uh, you know, it's a bit simple by half, but certainly the Whitecaps do have to address the scoring. But we touched on it with the two offensive players and Salgado and Maddox that just were no-shows this year. And, and this, that speaks to a couple different things. I think it speaks to failures by Vancouver's talent identification uh, sort of people in the past. And you would hope that maybe Carl Robinson with, uh, you know, signing guys like Kendall Watson uh, now might be demonstrating that, uh, that they're past that and they're able to be better in that. Uh, but it also just shows that they didn't develop those players and they picked the wrong players for the system or whatever. So it's not like the Whitecaps are a perfect team. Uh, I think that what's fair to say is that the Whitecaps are are a average MLS team now, which is something that makes uh, both the uh, TFC and uh, the Impact look even worse because that just it just demonstrates how how <laughs> bad TFC and the Impact are. That the Whitecaps' averageness is making them look like world beaters. <laughs> Yep, and one thing that Jorge mentioned, or Mark can remember, was that the fact that we all forgot that YPLE retired. We did not have a second thought about it this season, but it's true. Young Pioli was a, was a player that was important, that was not in the limelight, not in the spotlight, but he was there to uh, be effective and control the midfield. And they were missing that a little bit at the end of the season. We were Yes, Laba was there in front of defenders, but they needed somebody else with him. And who knows what it could have been if those one of those two... Uh, Asian players like Kobayashi or Raipili would have stayed with the team, right? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I remember when he said that the podcast, I was like, oh my God, yeah, he was there last year. Exactly <laughs> what I said too. Yeah, he was like, well, I forgot about him. It's been so long. It's just, just not a name that you even thought of all year because obviously they were doing something to cover that up a little bit, but uh, certainly he was a player that uh, I had doubts about him when they signed him too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone did. He was older and like he didn't he was from the J League. You know, it didn't make a lot of sense, right? But uh, he... Uh, he certainly was a guy that uh, that did well for them in the past. Um, I think Kevin will end with this with the Whitecaps, and then we'll move on and talk about what the hell is going on in Montreal. <laughs> uh, what what do you, are your thoughts right now? Is it uh, you know is it half full or half empty? They finished fifth. That's not overplay what the Whitecaps did this year. They finished fifth and lost in the single game playoff. But at the same time, they made that playoff in a tough West. If you were looking forward to next year as a Whitecaps fan, would you view it as half full or half empty? 
half full because the only thing you need is a couple more drops of water and then it's more than 50%. So I think that they need to continue with consistency now. I think it's one word that's not used enough in all the Canadian soccer teams and Major League Soccer. One thing that they never had was consistency. It might be the one thing to propel them uh, over that uh, play-in round. You know, the, that might be the, the secret to be not just an average team, but to be a top team in Major League Soccer. Yeah, and, and I view the Caps as sort of being uh, evenly full, uh, if, if that makes sense. It's going to depend on what happens in the offseason, whether whether little holes are poked in that glass and it becomes less than half full or whether they fill it up with a little bit more. Uh, I, I think the LA Caps are a team that really could go either way right now based on where they're perched. They certainly did well to battle their way to a playoff spot. I think they utilize their home advantage a lot in that. Uh, that's something that's not going away, so you're, you're not going to dismiss that. But when you look at next season for the Whitecaps, uh, they're going to lose their, their home uh, field for a large portion of their month. They're going to have a big disruption in their home schedule with the World Cup, uh, the Women's World Cup taking part there. And they have the Champions League to contend with. Those two issues are going to make it more difficult for the Whitecaps to replicate, replicate what they did this year. They certainly are going to need to add to that base that they have. They absolutely are going to have to address the the lack of, uh, of a threat, a, a definite scoring threat up front, um, if they are going to, to replicate what they did. And uh, that's to say nothing of what they maybe or may or may not be able to do in the Champions League next year. That's going to be... Uh, that's going to be an interesting thing, and th- thankfully for them, it's not going to start for for quite a while. Uh, and uh, at that point, by the time it will start, they'll they'll know kind of where they are in the MLS season, and they'll know and the uh, what will be they, almost done and all that. Yeah, yeah, they can they can contribute whatever amount of resources make sense at that point. Uh, don't be surprised, Whitecap fans, if you are in a in a playoff hunt, if you end up addressing similar similar rosters as you did against TFC. Uh, the CCL is not always a blessing. <laughs> It is when you're out of the season, yeah, uh, like the back over this year, <laughs> yeah, or like TFC was in, in a couple of years ago. So uh, that that's the segue into um, the impact. And uh, Kevin, look, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks, and, and rightfully so, about TFC and about how much of a mess it is and how much it's the same old, same old. I think in many ways, the the big bloody big blow up of TFC is distracting from really a weird kind of off season already. In in the impact, we have players calling their own self conference uh, press conferences, <laughs> and now presses. we have Matt, yeah, selfie presses, and now we have Matt Jordan up and leaving to Houston. And, the uh, heart and soul of the team, in my opinion, just got up and left. And what's that mean? That, that, that's the question. What the hell is going on in Montreal, and what does it mean? To be fair, I think there was a hissy fits. In the offices between a couple of managers over there. If you talk about the DeSantis, the Jordan, and even Klopas was there because Klopas was involved in the player personnel of the season. Uh, I don't think it went well with the three of them or with Saputo. There's something that happened there this season or last season. For sure. I have no information of what happened. But Matt Jordan had his heart and his soul with this team. He played for this team in the NASL. He gave blood, sweat, and tears for this team and was working, was the hardest worker, a general technical director, general manager, call it whatever you like, that I've seen. He was implicated in the day-to-day operation and everything. And now he decided to leave. He wasn't fired. He decided to leave the club and accept a, a raise, first of all, promotion, with Houston Dynamo becoming the vice president and general manager of soccer operation. And already, it's been two days in Houston, and Mike Firpo, uh, one of the owners, and Glenn Davis, one of the president, first of all, Mike Firpo, one of the journalists, 
They're already saying that, wow, it's a breath of fresh air to see Matt Jordan come in. Already talk about how he wants to change Houston and make the dynamo an image of the diversity of Houston has and be able to use that on the pitch. Anyways, he's saying all the right thing in Houston. What I'm wondering is what all the word things were said in the office of Montreal to have that. And uh, uh, I just hope that it's a clean sweep again. Might as well restart fresh. Yeah, the first thought that I saw when I when I saw the news was that obviously uh, Joey is not giving his people below him enough power to do what they needed to do or what they thought to. It seemed to me, and I'm an outsider, I'm speculating a bit with this, but it seems to me that Jordan can't he can't just be leaving for money or something. It has to be that he he has he's looking at the Houston job and it, and it's providing him with a greater level of opportunity to build the team as he sees fit. And that counter to that would mean that he didn't have that power in, in Montreal. Is that a fair assessment? That's, I think, a perfect assessment. There's one thing flawed with human beings in general. It's that it's really hard for us to admit when we made a mistake or to admit that we were wrong and move on from that. Usually they're just trying to find reasons and just change things without having that moment where they admit that they made a mistake. And I think it's time now that Montreal... The whole staff, the whole head office, the whole club, the whole team, and the whole city start to admit that the last three seasons were wrong. Mistakes were made. And I think it's time to realize that we do not know everything. They do not know what to do to make it better and surround yourself with people that do know. Look at DC United at the end of the 2013 season. They were exactly where Montreal is right now. They had a spot in the CCL and uh, they had uh, no spot at all in Major League Soccer. And look at today, a year later. They kept that CCL spot. They made it too uh, far in the playoffs. Who knows what can happen? That's what I'm trying to see. You need to admit that you don't know what to do and get people that do know what to do. Fair enough. And um, that's always, I think, Joey's greatest uh, strength has always been his passion and love for the team and his dedication to the game in, in the city of Montreal. And as we've said many times before, uh, without Joey Saputo, the impact aren't there. And uh, that's that's just a, a truth, that a truism that we can't deny. But it, I think his greatest weakness, Kevin, is, is similar in that, that he can't just let go and let others do the jobs that he hires them to do. Um, and, and I think this might be an example of that. The other fear I have, and uh, you know where I'm going with this, is uh, is someone else in Joey's circle uh, maybe getting the power back that he had allegedly had taken away? I don't. I hope not. But uh, it's still a thing going on right now. Nick DeSantis is in Argentina, uh, getting contact with Diego Milito and trying to sway him to come play with Montreal next year. So who knows if that's going to happen? But he's still the one doing it right now. So. It is part of his new duties to be ambassador and representative of the impact abroad and outside of Canada and the United States. So it's part of his new responsibilities, but who knows if it's, it's going to stay that way. I hope that it does stay that way. And I hope that, you know, in a tennis term, there's coaches usually bring people in the top 10. But to go from the top 10 to top first, you usually need a different type of coach who's going to bring you that last bit forward. And I think that's where the impact are. They had great coaches and great history in the NSL. They had a already beginning of the season, two bad season after that, because I would consider our second season worse than the first one, just because there was no continuous amelioration of the team, like no uh, improvement during the whole season. Actually, the last six months were a downfall that we continued to see in 2014. But uh, you need somebody different to that last step on the ladder to climb it. You need somebody with different type of uh, skills. And I think that's where the impact are. To get somebody on a level just above, trust him, and go all in with him. And who knows, he might become a better team next year. 
Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear you say that. I've always thought that the uh, the false dawn of a fifth place wild card spot, which was basically one off of the early season hot form of Marco Devio, uh, was maybe you know maybe ironically one of the worst things that happened to the Impact because it convinced them that they were on the right track when when a lot of people were were sort of looking at them and going, I don't think this is necessarily the right way to go. You like Um, the word confirmation bias? Well, that's what that run was. It just confirmed for them their bias about what they thought was successful for Major League Soccer, and we all know what happened this year. Fair enough. All right, we're going to watch that carefully. Uh, I guess, do you have any idea what the uh, Impact's plan is to replace uh, Jordan at this point? I think the Impact were as surprised as we are. So right now, I think they're just struggling to uh, to figure out what to do. Okay. We'll watch that story closely, but certainly uh, the offseason in Montreal has been uh, interesting, to say the least, so far. Uh, and uh, they're they're happy to have Toronto uh, distracting from them with another uh, other season that didn't work out for them. But uh, we'll continue to follow. On that note, Kevin, I'll let you say goodbye, and uh, we'll be back uh, early next week with our regular uh, podcast and an NESL wrap-up next week as well. And until then, have a great soccer.